Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today and I'm joined as always by my good friend, my business partner, uh, Mr. Jason Neil Patrick Johnston Yellen. Neil Patrick Harris Johnston Yellen. <laughs> I'm, I'll tell you, that's a Don't lot Don't pretend of... like it's a mouthful. Don't pretend. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, it's not a mouthful. It's just the right it's amount. Just of... the right amount. It fits perfectly. I just happened to forget the Harris. So there we are. <laughs> uh, hello, indeed. Welcome yeah. to the fall. Yeah, it's, you know what? It's officially, it is officially fall. I'm bundled up. I'm cold. I'm in my house. Haida will not let me turn the heat on yet, which has me a little upset. But, you know, here we are. I only drink pumpkin spice whiskeys at this time of year. (laughs) I just got a a new, I meant to tell you, I got a new set of brakes on my car and they're the pumpkin spice brakes. I had to get a whole new system in. Super, super smart, super smart. I feel like we've, we've moved into a new world as well. There's, they're still adding spice girls. Did you know that? There's now ice spice. She was on Saturday Night Live over the weekend. All right. And of course there's, yeah, and, and Ginger Spice, who, you know, she wow. was, I guess she was, was she always in it? That was Jerry Halliwell, right? She was Ginger oh, Spice yeah. before there was Starbucks. Ice Spice with my little eye. <laughs> ginger Spice. I, I honestly don't know. I knew, I knew that there was like... Old Spice? Like scary Spice and bend it in like Beckham Spice and... <laughs> <laughs> collect, collect them all. <laughs> uh, oh, then there was um, the Dune Arrakis Spice, the melange. There was that whole thing. All right. Yeah. You always bring up Dune. You always bring it up. I'm you always get Dune book, just Jason. lurking, just lurking I'm, I'm up re- your sleeve. I'm rereading it via audiobook. I'm three right. hours into a 21-hour audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people just listen to One Nation Under Whiskey. <laughs> ah, anyway, it'll nearly be the end of the year in review episode. So, gosh, we got to get longer than four hours from last year. Oh, we're going to have to. You know what? Of course, we have to have Jess in there. She'll help, she'll help us get over the line. I think this has got to be a six-hour episode. What do you think? Oh, my gosh. Right? Said nobody ever. <laughs> I want people to write in who listen to all four hours. Just just send us a note, just one sentence. <laughs> I was there to the bitter end. Yeah, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. <laughs> and they didn't even send that. And they didn't even send that, yeah. I made it myself. <laughs> I paid With good hard, hard-earned money through Zazzle or Cafe Press. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, yeah, happy fall. Happy fall. It's 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 good to be here and, and, and bundling up and smelling the fall air and, and and drinking the theme the things that warm your cockles, as it were. Which I've got I've got some cockle warming liquid in my glass, uh, which I want to talk to um, in a little bit because I know you've got some in your glass too. We actually we've got a lot to get to. We've got a special guest, sort of an interesting guest. This is, I think this is a new for us, <laughs> a new one, I should say, you know, where we've had David previously of Pandaren 
mm-hmm. on the call and, and now of M&H. And um, I'll give a little lead in before we get to that conversation. So I wanted to hold off on that because I know you converted an email to a PDF. I, I didn't convert it. It was sent to me with a PDF attachment for for my ease of reading. Oh my the number of PDF attachments that we get now <laughs> with their emails is hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> So yes, I just simply had to save the attachment to my desktop. It was very easy. And then from my desktop, I moved it into my One Nation Under Whiskey folder. I thought you were actually going to fax that to yourself so you'd have Uh, a nice printout. Yes, yes. Do you know the problem with faxes? They're too long to attach to the leg of a homing pigeon. Well, what you need is um, a, a sparrow. <laughs> African, African swallow. <laughs> oh, swallow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not sparrow, a swallow. And a coconut. Oh, I ruined. I ruined the whole joke. Uh, oh well, here we are. Joshua let's, had let's, ruining let's, jokes. Let's, yeah, God. Since nineteen seventy-three. Listen, before before we get to the PDF that was sent in, and it's, it's a lovely PDF. I actually want to return to. Something we dip our toe in around this time, and and you just hit the nail on the head a second ago with kind of this idea of fall flavors and fall warmth. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And previously on our podcast, I shared a cocktail recipe for the Toronto. Oh, yes. And Thanksgiving is coming up, and the Toronto is soon to be making its way back into my... Uh, what would I call it? What would you call a serious lineup of cocktails that are all three ingredients? Oh, yes. <laughs> you have a plethora. Jefe, what is a plethora? Why, guapo? Well, you told me I have a plethora. And I just would like to know if you know what a plethora is. I would not like to think that a person would tell someone he has a plethora and find out that that person has no idea what it means to have a plethora. Um, coming back into my cocktail arsenal. Let's leave it at that. Arsenal. And yeah. so, so, so for listeners, the Toronto is two ounces of rye, a quarter ounce of fernet, a quarter ounce of maple syrup, and two dashes of Angostura bitters. And... Stir it with ice, strain it into a chilled cocktail glass, garnish with an orange twist. They are phenomenal at this time of year. But what I wanted to mention today was, in our episode with Gabby Dion, she talked about cocktails, she talked about Amaro, Mm -hmm. and our good friend James Foster, who we'll hear from again later in this episode, Mm -hmm. he he dropped me a text uh, a couple of weekends ago. And he said, I was listening to the Gabby Dion episode. It was fantastic. Her enthusiasm was unbridled. And she inspired me to buy Amaro's plural. And (laughs) that's great. And so I've, I've, you know, when I can conducted the interview with Gabby and we we finished up, we went over to the shelves and she went through some Amaro's uh, with me. And 
One of the ones she named on the podcast, I didn't quite pick up what the name of it was when she was talking because she, she said it so beautifully. It's Amaro mm. Chiocharo. And she just kept saying, Amaro Chiocharo. And I, and I kept saying, I, I'm not sure I know what that is. And so I saw it on the shelf. She pointed out on the shelf. She said, that's the one I was telling you about on the podcast. So I bought a bottle and okay. had, it, had it come to my home. Um, and I've been making black Manhattans with hmm. Amaro Chio Charo. So it's Amaro, A-M-A-R-O, separately. Chio, C-I-O, separate. C-I-A-R-O, Amaro Chio Charo. And if you can start to say it like that, you already sound like you know what you're doing. <laughs> the Black Manhattan is two ounces of rye, one ounce, in this case, of Amaro Chio Charo, a dash of Angostura bitters, a dash of orange bitters, and it's just another stir with ice, strain over an ice cube, hmm. garnish with a brandied cherry. Um, if you've got real top quality maraschino cherries, you can get away with it. Brandied cherry is is real primo, hmm. but not hmm. everybody has them floating around. And I have to say, so, so we were saying about little things in our glass. Yeah, yeah, I poured yeah. a little bit of the Amaro separately into a, a single cast nation glass. And... <laughs> it's so good which is a terrible <laughs> note to give anybody but it's it's herbaceous without going in any one particular direction mm. it's the mm -hmm. balance mm. of its herbaceousness that is so so good it smells it smells like if you took some candy and just boiled it down into a syrup like it's it's got that like dense sweet hmm. note to it. Okay. When you say like a candy, it, it, what what kind of candy are I you know, thinking of? I it smells so familiar. I I think one part of the sweetness is if you remember the what were they called? Were they really called pop rings? Yeah, you could, yeah sure. the pop kids rings. would get. Yeah. Were, were they called pop yeah. rings? And the they kids still would just are have pop it. Rings. Right, and the, you you'd see your kid. It looked like they were sucking their fingers, but really they were sucking their mm -hmm. pop rock. If indeed that's its real name, um, it's like if you if you if you boiled one of those down, the sweetness of it's got that kind of like heavy red kind of sweetness. Oh, I'm thinking red yeah. candies go. here. Okay, okay, okay. Oh gosh, it's so good. But but again, the sweetness doesn't run away with it because it has that little bit of herbaceousness. Round the edges of it. Oh, you're making mm. me thirsty. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so syrupy. It's so heavy, so oily, so viscous, mouth coating, and again, herbaceous. Very, very, very slightly bitter, not unpleasantly so, and more bitter to the back ah, of the palate. Okay. Interesting. 30% ABV. Oh, nice. uh, yeah. you, can, you can drink this over the rocks. You could mix it with seltzer. You could stick it in a black Manhattan like Jason. Mm -hmm. It's just cracking, absolutely cracking. And I don't remember the exact price of it, but it was somewhere around the $20, 20-something. 20 That's a really good price. Yeah. So usually, yeah. usually you've got to spend $30 to get something that is 
like really lovely on its own and, and, you know, compliment, you know, that you don't need other things to, <laughs> to make it taste good. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is the conversation we keep having about cocktails, right? Sometimes it's a place to make a spirit you don't particularly like go away. Mm-hmm. But if you make that same cocktail with a better spirit, you get a better cocktail. So yep. there's, there's gradations of quality, uh, when it comes to, to cocktail building. I'm just calling up mixing glass here, see what see what price this is. There we go. It is oh mixing glass and market.com. That was the mistake I made. Amaro. Um I would say to anybody who's who likes the selection that Gabby has, uh, drop her a note, see if she can ship to you. Um, because these states are forever changing, they're not always up to date on the website. Uh, okay. But if there's something you like the look of, give her a call. Um, give the store a call. It's it's great people uh, who work there. Here we go. Okay, I stand corrected. Amara Chiocharo is $34 a bottle. There you go. So there you go. Now that makes much more sense. 30 and up and you're really living in a, in a world of Fine, fine Amaros. So cool. Oh, nice. And now that I'm on the website, it says sold out. But I'm sure she'll be getting more in. She's good like that. <laughs> and, and now I'm just looking at other Amaros on our website. Cafe Amaro. There you go. Okay, well, this is this is one nation under whiskey, Jason. Not, not one nation under Amaro. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you that I think I've made either Black Hattons for you or Torontos for you when you've when you've, you've been made over Torontos. And... Yeah, last last uh-huh. uh, last Thanksgiving, if I'm not mistaken. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh. yeah. That the way the maple syrup plays with the fernet mm-hmm. so good have you ever done fernet by itself oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i it, love fernet I, I don't find it nearly as enjoyable as amaro by itself fernet's a little but, too but the thing much. is it's fernet is basically within the amaro family right it's 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 a version of it so that's kind of the cool thing about amaro's is you can go from producer to producer to producer and get different tastings, some more bitter, some more sweet, some more viscous, some more alcohol. It's it's kind of like exploring the world of gin, except you're having a really good time doing it. Did I just shit on gin? I may have. I also like gin, but I prefer Amaro's. I was gonna say that, yeah. You were <laughs> I don't, know, don't know why you were getting a little bit heated there. I was yeah, that was, that was a strange one. So, all right, I'm going to sit in and uh, wrap up my Amaro here. Uh, something in your glass? Well, I've, I've, I've got my uh, I've got my M and H in my glass, so I'm just mm. I'm just holding on that. With my Amaro safely tucked away in my tummy, <laughs> I will I will move my attention uh, for your edification, Joshua, and the edification of our listeners to the PDF. That came in, and, and when I tell you the name of the saved file, it will tell you everything you need to know. Okay. The file title is PDF for Jason underscore Ice Cream Man Saga Continued. <laughs> I'm the ice cream man, jumping pass the bar. All right, yep, got it. <laughs> and and we we begin with a recap. Dear J, J, and J, 
I wanted to get back in touch and provide you with the latest developments in the Ice Cream Man saga, <laughs> which I believe I believe is coming to Netflix in 2024. Yeah, I just I heard that deal went through. I'm really excited about that. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now we just need the actors to end their strike so they can start filming it. So. Yeah, yeah. The the writers have written it. Now we just need the actors to act. That's it, right. That's exactly correct. Yeah. The story left off back in April when I and a couple of guys from my Chicago Scotch Club met Craig Wadsworth and members of his Seattle Scotch Club uh-huh. at a Tobermory Distillery Tour uh-huh. and Tasting. We made the connection that we were big fans of the Padcost and of SCN's bottlings. And once again, they know exactly how to get to our hearts. Oh, yeah. Through compliments. <laughs> <laughs> luckily... luckily the two groups exchanged contact information on Mull and had been quietly working over the summer to arrange a meetup in Chicago. It finally happened on October 7 at Delilah's in Chicago, which we know is legit because they have a bottle of SCN's Lechig 13 behind the bar. Ah. It's delicious, says Chris. No, no argument from us there, Joshua. None at all. No. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And thank you. <laughs> and thank you indeed. Other fun expressions that we sampled included the Springbank 13 Green, Tobermory 15, a Kilhoman Sauternes cask, which is a Delilah's Jack Rose ah, collaboration bottle. Indeed, yes. And Jason owns. And some legendary Ardbeg special releases, among others. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I go into the next paragraph here, I, I came out and said, I own that Colholm and Sauternes Delilah's Jack Rose collaboration. Anything you want to say about the Springbank 13 Green? That I want to say about? Well, no. <laughs> Am I meant to be saying something? That's not the green that you own? No, Jason, that's not the green that I own. No. The the So there's the Springbank green label and then there are the green Springbanks. So the green Springbanks were 1973 distillate bottled in 1991 and there were Caddenhead's dumpy bottlings. He's talking about the 13-year-old green label Springbank that was released just just a few years back. Very different animals. Oh. Yeah, yeah, very different animals. Oh, then maybe I have the Springbank 13 green. I'm sure you do. Yep, I'm sure you do. Yeah. yeah. It was a good, very good bottle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he put green in italics, and so when I saw green, it made me think of your green Springbanks. Yeah. No, no, no. Too very. I know for a fact Delilah's does not have the the <laughs> actual <laughs> green Springbanks. Like, no. Would you have... What would you have ordered a pour uh, on a trip to Delilah's if they had it? One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, listen, I've 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 got both green spring banks, the the classic ones, and I'm going to be opening them on my birthday. So, yeah, awesome, awesome, yeah. awesome. Um, all right, um, I, I forgot we're still in intro mode here, so um, I will get I will get back to the story oh, at hand. Yeah. It was a it was a great afternoon. And it was so fun to get to know these guys who share such a passion for single malt. They are truly a bunch of great guys. It's also so cool that SCN and One Nation Under Whiskey helped to bring these two groups together. 
we're already talking about a potential Seattle meetup at a future date. Well, I don't know if it's saying too much, but November 5th, uh, there would be a reason to be in Seattle for uh, for a cheeky little SCN pick. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Might be something to put in the calendar there, Chris, and and other people of Seattle. Exactly. Uh, well, one other side note, says Chris. I recently hosted the latest Scotch Club meeting at my house where we spotlighted bottles that we brought back from the west coast of Scotland. West coast, it is the best coast. There is no doubt about it. <laughs> and Scot- in Scotland, yes. <laughs> in multiple <laughs> countries. It's amazing how that works. Mm. Our meetings start with warm-up drams and socialising, followed by dinner, and then proceed to the official tasting. Sounds like a hell of a night. <laughs> I included your Kalila seven-year-old U.S. retail release in the warm-up phase. Oh, nice. One, that, that's a bold warm-up. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's, yeah. Here's some cast-strength single cask Isla. Uh, <laughs> let's jump on in with both feet. One member of our group is a huge Kalila fan, but for some reason has always been sceptical of independent bottlers. So <laughs> it was really fun... And a big compliment to SCN when he crossed the kitchen to tell me how fantastic that bottle was. Wow. The whiskey sings without a single drop of water, despite being 57.1% ABV. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting that people are still skeptical of independent bottlers? Well, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it makes... People gonna people? Pe- people gonna people. It, I'll tell you what's, what's more interesting is that there, that there are Kalila fans that are skeptical of independently bottled Kalila because, you know, historically speaking, those, you know, those who love Kalila tend to say, you know, I, I love what Kalila does, but I really love the IB stuff. And so mm. the the fact that you've got someone who's has been skeptical about it, um, you know, sounds like he absolutely loved it. And so, please check out not just us, but check out other independent bottlers as well. Like Kalila is gorgeous anywhere. So I'm glad if we could have opened that door for him. Awesome, that really makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. And then imagine being a huge fan of. Kalila Obi and now being introduced to an entire IB world. Yeah, right. It's just expanded his fandom. Potentially. Yeah, potentially. Sounds sounds wonderful. Okay. So Chris says, I know this letter is getting long in the tooth, but one question if you have time. I've noticed that many of your bottlings are very drinkable, uncut. Sometimes this is not the case with other cast strength whiskey which results in a lot of trial and error with the water dropper. Hmm. I haven't heard you talk about this, but is drinkability at cask strength something you prioritise in your cask selections? So I I know my answer to that. I've got a sense I know your answer, Joshua. Hold on to your answer for a second. Let me just close out this PDF and I I will return the floor to you. Go ahead. Chris closes by saying, keep up the great work, and I'm looking forward to trying some of your upcoming American single malt releases. Yours truly, Chris the Ice Cream Man Hagen. And I I like to pronounce it like the beginning of Hagen does, since he is the Ice Cream Man. And then he says, P.S. I've attached a PDF of this email for Jason's desktop. 
I figured I would save you a step. What a what a scholar and a gentleman. Jason, the people in my tribe call that a mensch. <laughs> <laughs> He's a mensch. He's done right by you this day. He's a good bloke, as they say in my tribe. <laughs> so so here's this question. Yeah. Do um let me just get, uh, is drinkability at cask strength something you prioritize in your cask selections? You know, it's interesting. I, I feel as if what I'm about to say is something that we've talked about quite a lot. However, maybe we didn't talk about the why of it. So when mm. you and I select a cask, obviously, you know, the nose is first. And if the whiskey doesn't pass the nose test, if it isn't, interesting, inviting, uh, have, you know, either a complexity or just something so charming about it that you want to drink it. If it doesn't pass that test, we don't move on to, on to the sipping of that whiskey. However, if the whiskey or spirit we're sampling does pass that test, we go straight into the sip. And first and foremost is you and I look for texture. We look for viscosity, we look for the weight of that spirit, and we do not even pay attention to the flavors. And that, I think, speaks exactly to drinkability. If, mm-hmm. if the spirit is hot, then you're not going to have a great time. Uh, have, have we had some casks where we've diluted the whiskey down a little bit here and there? Yes, of course. Wolf Island you know, take one and take two are very good examples, but we typically like full cast strength whiskeys or rums. Um, and it, but it has to have that, that instant drinkability, that, that texture that helps not only deliver flavor, but deliver that almost indescribable, pleasing feeling that you get when you just have a, a, a spirit that coats your tongue. Yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and I, you know, one of the things I, I think we both talk about in different tastings is those oils are protecting your taste buds mm-hmm. from the alcohol, yeah. from the burn. And so you can get away with higher strength. Now, and I, I think this is to the point you were starting to make there, there are definitely casks that we sample and we say, Whoa, that is bringing unbridled alcohol to the party. Mm. And that is far too much. If you took that below 50%, you would probably have a lovely little drinker on your hands. Sure. But that is not SCN. That That's not our single cask business. And so, yes, it has to be a cask that well represents itself at cask strength. And... Yeah, we've definitely turned down casks for being too hot, too aggressive, too abrasive with the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I'm glad. I'm glad Chris is is picking up on that from the selections. But but use the word in your answer that I think is our absolute go to, which is unctuousness. Yeah, you need a whiskey that is unctuous. That mouth feel that's been important to us from day one remains hugely important. And sometimes with the concern around, you know, cask availability and and a dearth of, of first fill bourbon making its way to, to Scotland, there is 
you know, there are a number of casks being reused, repurposed, refashioned. You need good wood to to put a bridle on some of that alcohol strength, uh, that alcohol burn. So we need we need the best casks to keep being able to choose unctuous, drinkable spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. The last thing that I would say is you, you said it's important to have good texture. Uh, I would say that it's required to have for mm. us to be good texture mm. because, you know, again, we're not a distillery. We don't have a flavor profile or, or, or anything like that that we could hang our hat on. However, we hang our hat on being texture guys and the fact that we focus on single cast nation, every bottling, having good texture, delivering drinkability. Yeah, and, and what's the thing that drives us up the wall when somebody tastes it and says, oh, that's that's hot or that's raw? And, and you know, on one hand, if you're used to drinking 40% alcohol, yeah, you've taken a step up in alcohol there. It, it might very well be noticeable. But also sometimes there's notes of cinnamon or garam masala or freshly mm-hmm. grated ginger, yeah, you know, running pepper, right down yeah. the middle of your tongue, right? And so... You know, always ask yourself, is this coming from the alcohol strength or is this coming from the whiskey itself? Is this a flavor profile that I'm getting in here? So, you know, we don't shy away from cinnamon. I I like cinnamon notes in a whiskey. So, yeah. Drinkability. Drinkability. Drink more. Yeah. Hashtag responsibly. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) so yeah. So, Ice Cream Man, thank you so much for sending that in, for sending in the PDF. Uh, that really helps, oh, Jason. Much appreciated. Yeah, it really does help. Much him. appreciated. Uh, listen, uh, this intro has has gone on almost long enough, but I but I feel I need I need to mention something here. So uh, we're about to introduce a conversation between me and and David Cover of M and H Distillery, and actually he and Tal Hotner were meant to come into country. They were going to be you know, here in the Northeast with me and then in the Mid-Atlantic, like the D.C., Maryland area with Jared and then headed down into Atlanta. There's a big Whiskies of the World event happening uh, shortly there. Actually, I think on my wedding anniversary. And just a few days before uh, Tal was going to fly out, there was a bit of a, a kerfuffle in Israel. Um, actually, I'm not going to pretty it up. There was a horrible terrorist attack by Hamas on Israel. And lots of people dead, lots of people kidnapped. Everybody's been watching the news. I don't want to get political here, so I so so I'm not going to. What I will say is uh, every Israeli person that I know, thank God, is safe. Everyone at MH Distillery, which David will mention um, you know, during the conversation, is safe. But all of them are also Good. going to a funeral or two every single day. And yeah. it's unfortunate so many innocent Israelis have been killed. It's unfortunate that so many innocent Palestinians have been killed, stuck in this terrible Agreed. war between um, the Israeli government and Hamas uh, terrorist organization. And it's only going to get worse. And all we can say here is... Um, we feel for, and our hearts are with the families of those 
who have kidnapped family members, um, who have dead, etc. cetera. Uh, we stand with you. We feel for you. We love you. And, um, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it there because today was the first day where I didn't cry. And if I keep on going on, I may, so I'm going to stop. Yeah, um, yeah, no, yeah. Well, well said on it. We got clearance for all of our Israeli family as well last week. And that was a huge relief. We've got friends with family on the other side of the border as well. And they are hoping and, and praying for, for safe ward from their families. You, you said this spot on a, a moment ago. There are many, many innocents on both sides of the border. And we wish them all the best. And we think of them and we, we support them from afar. Uh, well said, Joshua. Yeah. Whew, you don't say that to me too often. I'm going to have to hold on to that. Um, <laughs> and, this, and this is why we have M&H in the glass. So both you and I poured a little single cast nation, uh, three-year-old um, M&H from an exile cask. And our, our partnership with, with M&H is some, something we've always cherished. And, and now yep. it, just, it just means that much more. So, so we raise our glasses to, to M&H, um, to all the Israelis out there that are hurting, to all the innocent Palestinians that are hurting as well. Our glasses are raised. Indeed. Slanjin Lakaim. So David Cover, now of M&H Distillery. Yes. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. And welcome back to the U.S. Thank you. It feels good. It always feels good to be here. <laughs> you know, having you come out, this, is, this was a trip that I was very much looking forward to. And I was looking forward to it, obviously, in, in part to have you here, but also to have Tal, uh, Tal Kotner from m coming out. But he's in Israel dealing with what's going on in Israel and just, you know, I know you're, you're not Israeli, nor do you live in Israel, but what's going on there is crazy. It's nonsense. We hope everybody remains safe. Everybody is safe at the distillery yeah, right now. Absolutely. Um, that was one of the things that, uh, that Tal, you know, wanted to make sure everyone knew that, uh, you know, everyone, the distillery was, was safe, yeah, um, for yeah. the, for the moment, luckily. Um, but yeah, it's just, absolutely awful what's been happening so yeah our thoughts very much with them yeah uh, at the moment in this terrible terrible time and the distillery shut for a couple of days yeah right? absolutely yeah. um with all the uncertainty and sure. sirens and and everything going on that um i, I think a lot of businesses were, were shut including sure. including the distillery um but they're, they're back up and running now and um running the stills making the whiskey shipping out orders and, and everything wow. um trying to keep on working to get this magical liquid out to people yeah and that's do you think them reopening is is good for everybody sort of writ, writ large within tel aviv yeah i, I think so yeah. um and and good for for the people working there as well that, yeah. that they can get back to work and and yeah. have some sort of normality um back to their lives you know a yeah. little bit for the moment um so yeah i, th I think generally it's a, a really good thing so happy that 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 can be the case. Yep. Yeah, same. Um, for our listeners, there's some wonderful top 40 music going on in the background. And there's a chance, 
Now, albeit maybe a one in a million chance that a song comes on that, that David, both you and I know, and we've agreed pre-recording that we will bust out into song. Absolutely. Like karaoke style. <laughs> Should we should we know a song? I think it's a small chance. <laughs> I think if it was like a, a, a rock radio station, maybe we'd have more of a chance. Maybe unless you know a good Swift song. Well, are you a Swifty? Not not so much. You're no, not so much. Okay. Yeah, well, we've talked a lot about music. I think uh, <laughs> our tastes uh, align a lot of the time, but maybe not so much on on Taylor Swift. All right. Well, I may have to shake it up. We, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, so listen, you know, the, the first time I had you on the podcast was with you in your role um, as a global ambassador for Pandaren Distillery. Yeah, the, the infamous uh, traffic jam episode. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's right. Yeah, that was fun. We were stuck in some big crazy accident. Well, we weren't in well, the no, accident. Well, no, we weren't luckily. in the accident. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it was, I remember looking at the GPS and it... The, the, our ETA, like two hours were added on to our ETA to oh, yeah. destination. Yeah. Um, so, but, so good news, we're not in traffic. Yep. <laughs> we're, we're in the lovely New Haven Hotel, the, the home of the best pizza in America. Not the hotel, the, the, but the, 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 town. the town of the New town, Haven. The town of yep, New Haven. Absolutely. So talk to us about your role within, within M&H, which, which I know is new. I'm curious to, to know what you're doing with them. Maybe your perspective on um, on what M and H is doing and, and their growth, which is, I mean, has been going on a nice trajectory, and, and then you had, you know, whiskey of the year last year with, with Element Sherry, or earlier this year with Element Sherry. So yeah, if if you could just give us a bit of an introduction of your role with M M&H and H and what's going on there. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been an amazing. An amazing thing, kind of crazy ride, um, hmm. but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's just incredible. Um, my my role, my official role, is brand ambassador for UK and North America. Okay. Um, so I'm sort of partly responsible for the UK and and mm. US, Canada, but mm. um, really it's it, it's a small team, and we all just sort of slot in where, wherever uh, we okay. can. And, and if someone can't make it to a to a show or, or whatever, then then. You know, I might be in Germany one week or the Netherlands uh, the next okay. and, yeah. and stuff like that as well. So um, we always try and keep pretty flexible, really, I think. But, mm. but as you said, you know, it's, it's a very new role for, for me. I just started beginning of September um, oh, wow. after eight years at Pendarin. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's uh, it's super, super cool. I think one of the things that really attracted me to, to m and is mm. how experimental it is, how exciting it is. Mm. Um, and and this was even before it won the the big award. So I don't want anyone thinking, I, oh, they won a big award. I've ju- and I've jumped ship. It's uh, it was even even before that. You know, I was really attracted to yeah. to the distillery itself and and the people, the the atmosphere around mm-hmm. the the company and, and everything. It's just uh, I'm just so, so excited about about yeah. all of it. Really, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's uh, it's amazing that it's got to be the one of the one of if not the most exciting distillery in the world at the moment i think with yeah. the whiskies that are being produced the approach that's being taken to mm-hmm. you know the casking and and just everything else so sure um, if if there's something to try they'll they'll try it um that's that's what i loved you know going out to the distillery in in 2019 and, and this was before impex was officially importing m&h okay and you know 
going to the distillery and then to um, the Dead Sea to visit their casks sitting atop a hotel and and hearing about the, the, the five different sort of climate zones that, that you guys were targeting at the time. Like it's cool that you're not just experimenting with, with casking, but you're experimenting with a range of of climates and air pressures yeah. to affect your whiskey. And I can't think of any other country in the world that has the diversity that Israel has to do. I mean, maybe in the U.S., but you have... It would be a bit more spread out, maybe. Spread out across 3,000 distilleries rather than one distillery that can can do all of these things. Yeah, exactly. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm... super super excited to, to join the team every single person that i've met you know from from the distillery the company mm. um has just been the, the best people yeah super super friendly and, and welcoming and um i'm only the second person outside of israel to, to be hired for the company as well oh. um, which is really really exciting for me so um yeah no it's it, it's awesome and and yeah the the whole sort of exploration of what the distillery is capable of is mm. still you know very very much going on um with you know crazy experiments every single day i mean tal i know tal uh talks about it a lot it is um sort of never-ending coffee that he has with Tomer in the mornings <laughs> they sort of sit down together and it's called the never-ending coffee because they never finish it um yeah. because they're always just coming up with some crazy idea of oh let's go there let's do this yeah. or let's taste some casks or let's go get some casks from a winery and and they head off and and, and do something and uh, yeah it's just that's the the sort of mindset is to mm. to try everything, do everything that, mm-hmm. that they can, experiment with every little variable that, that they can. Um, so I think yeah, the, the the boundaries are still being tested all the time. Yeah, um, it's so innovative that that yeah. I think that's super super exciting. So that was one of the really big things that attracted me to um, to the role to the company as well. That's um, very cool. I was also just sick of people calling me Welsh. <laughs> just assuming that I was Welsh because I worked for a, a yeah. Welsh whiskey brand. So uh, people would call me Welsh Dave or, or oh, that's uh, things funny. like this. So, you know, I was just fed up with that. And uh, <laughs> but see, now, maybe now people will assume I'm Israeli. Exactly, this is the issue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, um, but no, it's, uh, it's, it's a really exciting journey it's going to be a lot of fun mm. and and yeah i'm just really just at the beginning of it so i'm okay. um, excited to kind of see what's next and so i want to talk about some of the some of the things that mnh maybe has has started doing or, or is looking to do whatever whatever you're able to share but before before we get into that i'm curious to know just from your perspective you're going from one world whiskey producer to yet another world whiskey producer and from the perspective from the sorry the perspective of the consumer is your approach to them your communication to them about your whiskeys is is it different do you have to take on a different mindset being with another world producer I think partially the the mindset is 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 quite similar. Still trying to sort of open people's eyes to something that they might not normally try if they're mm. a American whiskey drinker, bourbon yeah. drinker, Scotch whiskey, whatever it is. You know, those yeah. are much more sort of normalized um, types of, of, of whiskey yeah. that that have a lot of fans around the world. And and I think um, some people still aren't sort of maybe open to the idea of, of world whiskey generally or aren't mm. convinced by it. Um, so I think 
partially the mindset the mindset is still very much the same as trying to open people's eyes yeah. trying to to get them to try something new something really different mm. that, that that maybe they haven't thought of before that that yeah. um, that a whiskey could even be like this yeah um but i think partially it's different as well because the whiskey is very very different and yeah. it's about very different things um it's nice that there is a bit of a similarity with um, Dr. Jim Swan being involved. I think Pendarin uh, was probably one of his very first projects. Correct, yeah. Um, yeah. And M&H must have been one of his last, probably, uh, before he sadly passed away. So yeah. um, there's a nice sort of link there, at least, that um, I can use sort of some of the, the, the knowledge and some of the things that I talked yeah. about, perhaps, with, with Pendarin and sort of take them forward. Um, with M&H as well, mm. talking about, you know, STR casks. And, and I was very lucky enough as well to actually meet Jim Swan um, oh, okay. a couple times at, at Pendarin. So oh, okay. um can sort of take those experiences uh, in, yeah. into this role as well and, and explain those. But I think there is, yeah, there's, there's so many sort of really big differences in the distilleries as well that mm. there's going to have to be a bit of a mindset change for, for me and how I explain them, how I go about explaining them perhaps. But I'm still kind of figuring it out. As I yeah. said, I'm so new. I'm just I haven't even talked about the brand that much yeah. uh, yet, and and sort of excited to continue figuring it out. Really, yeah, it's interesting when it when I think about Pendarin, I think I think okay, here's a distillery that's producing a style of whiskey that is quite a bit different, almost unfamiliar to those who may know and understand Scotch whiskey, yeah. yet it's incredibly approachable. Yeah, absolutely. With, with M&H, there are aspects of it, especially with like M&H Classic um, and maybe um, Element Sherry, where there's aspects of the whiskey that are a bit more familiar to those that are, or at least... Uh, there's there's a closer connection to those that are familiar with Scotch whiskey to M and H. There, some of those flavors mm. translate a bit more than Pendarin's flavors translate, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yet to your point earlier, what you're able to do at M and H, those in Scotland simply don't have the access to, even if they yeah. could do that. Yeah, it's absolutely. Kind of an interesting. Yeah, I think um, yeah. to to your point there, one of the things with Pendarin is that one of the main things I've talked about for mm. so many years, I just can't even get it out of my head anymore. It's about the Faraday still. Yeah. So they're using a very, very different style of still. Yeah. So the whiskey is quite yeah. a different style. Whereas M&H, one of the things that we talk about quite a lot is this sort of combination of old and new, yes. um, yeah. which is very much the sort of the city of Tel Aviv is, is yeah. very much like that. Yeah. And, um, and Israel is kind of like that as well. So we wanted the distillery to be a bit like that. And um, so you have Scotch style, whiskey stills, pot stills, mm -hmm. a double distillation yeah. uh, in those from malted barley. So yeah, yeah, the whiskey perhaps is a bit more of a familiar style. You know, we're, we're using Scotch whiskey regulations mm. in Israel, even though yep. we don't necessarily have to. Yep. Um, we're sticking by those, but applying this sort of new approach yeah. to it as well. Yeah, exactly. So, so the, yeah, you, you're absolutely right that there are going to be perhaps some more familiar things about M&H than, yeah. than maybe they would have been with Pendarin. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I remember years ago, before I was in the, the whiskey industry. Um, Jesus, when was that? <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> when that was. 1930-something. Um, and I, I remember start... So it was the job that I had before I started with Impex. Yeah. And I remember leaving the previous job to join 
So the job before my job before Impex, I left them to, to join my job before Impex. Are you following me? Very here? simple. Yeah. And, and I remember at one point, maybe about three weeks into the job, um, there's an alarm going off in this hotel. Hopefully everything's okay. I think it's outside, actually. <laughs> but I, good. I remember waking up, making some coffee, having breakfast, hopping in my car, and driving about 90% of the way to my old job before I realized I'm going <laughs> to the wrong place. Yeah. Does something like that happen with you right now, given you were with Pandaren for so long and now you're a, a month and 12 days into... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I still... There's still a sort of separation, I think, happening yeah, for me yeah. that uh, I, I keep thinking that... that it still doesn't seem real to me, really, that mm, this this mm -hmm. new role with with M and H, um, and and yeah, I think I'm still sort of unraveling myself from yeah. Pendarin. And I wouldn't be surprised if on this trip, while I'm giving talks and masterclasses, just talking about stuff, I just <laughs> slip into <laughs> oh, the Faraday still this, and <laughs> yes, and, and, and stuff about that. But um, yeah, I think uh, that process is sort of still ongoing for mm -hmm. sure. Um, but yeah, it's, I think, as you said, it happens anytime. By the way, I do exactly the same thing when I'm driving. I just go into autopilot and just head somewhere. Totally My wife right. absolutely hates it <laughs> when it happens. Um, so, so I feel you on that one. Oh, that's funny. Um, so, so with M and H, you know, you, it was. It's it's funny. Here we are. We're out of COVID, but yet time still doesn't make sense. Um, yep. the whiskey of the year announcement was last September, correct? Do I have that, that math right? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. You, you didn't <laughs> care. You <laughs> yeah. weren't part of the company. <laughs> I wasn't uh, here then, but, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not sure actually. Um, so, but, but from that standpoint, I, I wonder in, in talking with Tal, talking with Tomer, how that how having the announcement of one of your whiskeys being called the best whiskey in the world changes a distillery. Oh yeah, it's been, it's been huge. Yeah, uh, can we talk about that a little absolutely, bit? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely colossal for, for a brand yeah. like ours. Um, interestingly though, I was talking to, to Gal, who's our CEO, hmm. and he was saying that, um, you know, if it, it can also be it, it's a sort of double-edged double-edged sword because yeah. if you don't have the whiskey there to supply yeah. that demand, it can actually be a complete disaster mm -hmm. uh, for you as well. So there's a bit of a flip side to it that I think a lot of people don't necessarily uh, understand or see. Yeah. Yeah. But very luckily, we were in a position to to get that whiskey out there and, and, yeah. and supply the, those orders. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's been so instrumental in, in getting getting the brand out there. And you think it's a, it's a young whiskey brand as well. Mm. Not just that the distillery's young or the company's young, but um, the the first whiskey was only sort of properly launched in 2020, just before COVID. Yeah, and yep. then COVID hit, which really should have slowed us down a lot. Um, and you think from that point, then winning world's best single malt just a few years after yeah. launching your brand mm -hmm. it, it, it's absolutely crazy um and it's a huge testament to the work and effort that everyone's been putting in 
to the brand and, and there yeah. at the distillery. Tomer is just um, something out of this world. He's, he's uh, an absolute artist, I think, and um, uh -huh. very, very humble kind of guy as well. Yeah. I know you had him here on the show and, uh -huh. um, and he's a good friend. But I was very, very lucky when I was at the distillery um, the start of September um, when I first started to see him working, you know, in the blending lab and, mm. and he was showing me, you know, how he sort of puts things together. Mm. And it's just, um, it's amazing. Really, really incredible to, to see him working, um, yeah. working like that. Um, and it's an interesting technique he uses for blending as well, which I never really realized okay. that happens is he blends everything, marries casks and, and creates batches all at cask strength. Yeah. Which from, from what I'd learned about, the scotch whiskey industry and the way yeah. that things are done in, yeah. in the uk usually you work at lower strengths to sort of preserve yeah, bring it down to your, like 20 percent yeah, or yeah, 30 percent yeah. or yeah. or maybe 40 but not yeah. at, at cask strength normally you'd be working you know at, at these lower abvs to sort of preserve your your senses and, mm. and all of this um but tom was doing everything at cask strength which is also mental considering the fact that the ABV mm. of the whiskies from M&H go up over the years. Yeah. So a lot of the cask yeah. strength samples are 65, 66% alcohol or more. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's just, uh, it's an incredible art that he's sort of putting, putting these casks sure. together and, and putting, you know, half a percent of uh, virgin oak, for example, in, mm -hmm. in the classic. And yeah. we were then comparing what if you hadn't added that, that half a percent of virgin oak, yeah. um, what would the whiskey be like then? And, and it's totally, different right? night and day difference uh it's 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 absolutely crazy to, to so to even have that that thought of yeah oh i know what this batch of classic needs it needs half a percent of virgin oak let's just add that's going to give it a bit more depth mm. a bit more richness mm -hmm. um to even have that thought i think is is so so cool um and yeah just i think so the the awards for the sherry cask uh, yeah. I think it's a huge testament to him and, and his work as well. He doesn't like to call himself a master blender or anything. He yes. likes being the, the head. Head, head blender. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly, or yeah. head distiller. Um, and, yeah, he's just a really humble, all-round nice guy. But everyone at the distillery has been working so hard to create, you know, the, the absolute best whiskeys that, that they can. And yeah. um, I think the results are kind of speaking for themselves now. Um, yeah. It's, it's amazing, the, the consistency yeah. as well. And that's, that's already an incredibly difficult thing to achieve. Sometimes you can, I think there are brands that kind of revel in inconsistency, like Ardbeg 10 is easily mm. one of the most inconsistent whiskeys, but it's still a lot of fun. Yeah. But Classic is always so reliable. Yeah. There, it used to be, I, I used to have a standard statement, which I would have like... Um, a go-to whiskey if I had to um, to test my own palate. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and That's it a really good idea. Right? And yeah. so it was always Glenmorangie original. And I would argue classic is just as consistent as Glenmorangie original. Oh, well, thank you it, very much. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's really excellent. Yeah. So. I, think, I think one of the things that helps with that as well is the environment and the heat. Because I always think of oh, bourbons okay. being very consistent as well. Because true. Oh yeah. Because they all taste the same. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> Ooh, say that. Hot take. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, but it, I think I think generally, yeah. 
American whiskies mm. from Kentucky, Tennessee are, are generally they're considered very consistent, yeah. partially yeah. because you're always using the same type of cask, yep. virgin oak, and and you've got this environment where it, where it's a bit hotter, mm. so the whiskey's mm -hmm. maturing in a more consistent way. I, I don't necessarily know if I've got that right, but that's my that's always my, been my perception. I think something similar-ish kind of happens with, with in, in Tel Aviv where the distillery is because of the hotter environment. Because of the heat. Um, yeah, you're okay. getting perhaps more consistent results over a shorter amount of time than if yeah. perhaps you were in Scotland and yeah. you've got, you know, a, a Dunnage warehouse or a palletized warehouse and you've got, you know, different mm. um, whiskies spread over multiple warehouses or whatever and you're leaving them for sometimes substantial lengths of time. It might sure. be 10 years or 15, 20 years. There's more room for the whiskies to... Homogenize? Yeah, or un unhomogenize. Unhomogenize? Yeah, become become different. So you've got um, two... Oh, oh, so if you've got yeah, two yeah, casks... Yeah. Sorry, unhomogenize. Yes. Yeah, yes, if you've yes, got yes, two yes, casks... Um, yeah next to each other or, or, or something in Scotland, you know, you draw them up after 10 years, 15 years, they might be completely, completely different whiskies. Completely whiskies, different. yeah. Um, so perhaps the, the yeah. hotter environment in Tel Aviv with shorter amount of time sort of yeah. helps with, with that. Well, I think too, you know, you've, if we're sticking with the classic, you've got, like you had said, you've got a little bit of new chard oak going on there. Yeah. Just a touch. Then you've got, very consistent str casks yeah and if i'm not mistaken you kind of stick to mgp ex bourbon casks yeah a lot of the time right so you're you're where in the bourbon world you're always dealing with new charred oak and tremendous heat so that you have those two consistencies with your own whiskeys you've got the tremendous heat plus mgp casks new yep. charred oak in STR cast. You're dealing with similar consistencies, similar heat, creating that consistent, or the, the ability to create a more yeah. consistent product. Perhaps, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Um, but again, it's it's Thomas' work as well yeah. um, at the distillery, marrying those casts together and, and deciding okay. on the batches that that's, um, that's creating that consistency yeah. as well. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. With with Element Sherry, so again, back to this this exciting news, you know, best whiskey in the world, and now you have this good problem to have of, oh shit, <laughs> we need more of this. <laughs> yeah. What is that doing? If if you know, again, I understand you're 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 a month and eleven days into this, from from a um, raw material standpoint, are are you increasing the amount of kosher sherry being put down to increase the number of casts that you have? Do, do you find yourselves having to, to build out more warehouse space for, for this stock? Or is age of whiskey on your side that allows you to rotate through your warehouse a bit more? Um, I think, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a nice situation to be in, but definitely it's, it's, it's difficult. You've got to look yeah. at, you know, getting as much more, yeah. um, as you said, raw materials in particularly the casks is real, uh, could be a real issue. Mm. Thankfully, you know, we've got an amazing relationship, um, with this, uh, bodega in, in Spain that's supplying the, these really exciting kosher sherries, yeah. uh, which are also delicious by the way, you know, <laughs> probably, ah. probably anyone listening is never going to be able to taste it. But if you ever go to the distillery, you have to ask them if you can taste the sherry itself because they have huh? some, wow. uh, they have some there. It's really, really good. Um, but yeah, I know we've been buying a lot more, 
casks for from them mm. um, as many as we can and it's always been Oloroso and, and PX in the past, yeah. sherries. Um, but now we've started getting some other different styles of sherry oh, okay. cask from them as well. Um, we've also been sort of phasing out using sherry butts quite a bit because hmm. because they're larger, perhaps also taking a little bit more time to mature. Um, oh, that makes sense. And yeah. they're also just awkward to put in the warehouse because yeah. they're much bigger. So we've been using a lot more hogsheads or we've been buying a lot more hogsheads oh, okay. um, from them to, to be able to um, get mm-hmm. much more of the element or as, as much as possible this, this element sherry okay. um, maturing away so that we've got more stocks of it yeah. um, coming up in the future as well. Luckily at the moment we've got enough to, to sort of keep supplying oh, okay. um, for now. But yeah, it's future proofing, um, which is always really, really tricky with, with whiskey because you're dealing with something that you're, you, you know, it's, <laughs> you're having to think three years, five years, 10 years ahead um, yeah. to, to what's going to be happening. It's uh, pretty tricky to predict. Yeah, people, I, I think it's difficult for people to wrap their heads around s- simply the... Im- not just the amount of planning involved, but the amount of money needed to to account for future product that you hope you'll be able to sell. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's um, like if you think about what the 80s did to both the scotch whiskey industry and, and the American whiskey industry that could frighten people. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Because think about the times when so many distilleries shut. So long may it continue. Long may... Absolutely, yeah. Uh, long may whiskey rain. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? Um, are you able to share some of the other sherry cask styles that, that you guys are playing um, around with? If I can remember them, I think we were getting some uh, Imontelado and okay. uh, Moscatel sherry casks. Oh, okay. Ooh, Moscatel. Um right which is really interesting. Yeah. Maybe there were some other... I don't think we were getting any Fino... Mm-hmm. Maybe Palo Cortado. Yes. But I'm not sure. We were um, drinking Palo Cortado last night. We were, yeah. It was lovely. <laughs> it was a good one. Um, so yeah, but there's so much exciting yeah. stuff coming down the pipeline. Yeah. And I, I've... On previous trips to the US, I've been lucky enough to kind of be there when we've been visiting distilleries mm. um, here in... in um, where were we? Washington or, or Oregon. And I, I, it's, I, it's always this look I kind of catch from Tal where he sees something. He yeah. sees something in the distillery or some... Normally it's a new type of cask okay. that he hasn't seen before. All right. And he gets this slightly sort of crazed, excited look in his eye as he sees it and, he, and he's looking <laughs> at it and he asks, you know, what, what's that over there? And they'll say, oh, you know, that's like 400 litre virgin yeah. oak casks or... Um, it's, it's some, something like yeah. that would be something new that he hasn't seen before you can almost see him like itching for his phone yes. like, to, to text Tomo like see? oh I found these new casks and um, and then you know within a couple of weeks these guys yeah. move on stuff pretty quickly and when they decide something it's it, it, it's getting done um, so within a couple of weeks they'll yeah. have those casks being delivered to Tel Aviv in the warehouse maturing away or um, so yeah it's 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 funny to have been there seeing yeah. that and then yeah. like a couple of years later, you know, tasting whiskey from some of these casks yeah. that, that uh, we're hearing about, you know, upcoming sort of special editions that, that they've got in mind for these types of things. Uh, so, see this this is this is what I love about about Tal and about Tomer that it it's clear 
everything that's pushing them is the excitement of a, of a young boy, right? <laughs> and and just the the passion behind that. You're like the possibilities, right? Mm, and you're yep. like, oh, what can we do with this? And I think crucially, just a touch of insanity. A touch <laughs> of insanity. Yeah. But in a good way. <laughs> like, the best kind of insanity, that sort of like creative insanity of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's do this because yeah. we can and yeah. let's try it and let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, and one of the other things that I've noticed that, that um, we love doing, or Tal and Tom I love doing, is being the first to do something as well. Mm. If they can be the first... Yeah. producer of yeah. a type of whiskey or first one in the world to use a certain type of cask. Yeah. They, like, that's absolutely what they're going to try and do. They'll think of something up and be like, oh, yes, absolutely, we yeah. need to do that. Like orange wine casks or... Oh, um, oh which was excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, oh my gosh. Um, so this type of thing, it's, okay. uh, yeah, it's really, really... It's, it's just sort of fun to, to see what, the, what they're getting up to and, and, yeah, all the sort of exciting things that, that Absolutely wild. are on the way and yeah. possibilities. Um, can, we, can we just talk about sort of world whiskey writ large? I'm, I'm really... No. No, shit. Okay. <laughs> well, well they, it, it's been a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> see you next time. <laughs> you know, in... 2020 through maybe mid 2022 mm-hmm. were two and a half really incredible years for whiskey. People were stuck at home. They had nothing to do but max out their credit cards <laughs> and, and drink and all drink. the drinks. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that it was a period of, of exploration yeah, absolutely. You know, and and so here we are now. We're in 2023, and and I think, sort of, globally, people recognize the drinks industry is not as healthy as it was. You know, you hear mm-hmm. stories of of France um, converting 200 million liters of wine into like vinegar or you know something like yeah. this because they they can't bottle it. No, no, no one's going to buy it. Uh, people's buying habits have changed. Maybe they're traveling now, going on holiday. Maybe they're yeah. paying off their credit cards or maybe they need to drink what's on their shelves. And so I'm curious from your perspective, are, are, you, are, you, are you seeing that on your side of the pond? Like, like I still see the excitement. I'm not going to answer the question for you. Are you seeing no, this yeah, on your abs- side of the Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. the excitement is still there. I think yeah. um, the, the consumer's been changing a lot. The, the yeah. customer's been changing a lot. That people are much more up for trying different mm. things, want to try out mm. different things, new whiskeys, new things that they've never discovered yeah. before. Um, and we, we very much got that in the UK, as, as yeah. you said, over COVID and, yeah. and uh, a little bit beyond. But, you know, then we've had... Um, Difficulties, you know, inflation and and yeah. um, cost of living crisis, and, and yep. that's been you know all, all over Europe, and and I think over here yeah, as over well here has, as has well, been the yeah. same. People yep. have been looking a bit more harshly, perhaps, at, mm. at what they're spending and mm. and uh, needless spending, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the the excitement is 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 still there, and um, and and I think the yeah the consumer is sort of up for for still trying. Mm. new and and exciting things Mm -hmm. that that are coming out but yeah yeah, people are maybe being a bit more thrifty and and not um 
going crazy, maybe like, like they used to and going all out. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, one of the things I always found traveling here in the States for, from the UK is that um, I think in the UK and, and a bit more broadly over Europe, um, something that I had noticed the last you know, five years was that there was still this different reaction for, from people when you mm. talk to them about a world whiskey and you say, oh, this is a whiskey from yeah. part of the world that you wouldn't normally associate with whiskey. Yeah. And people uh, have this sort of reaction of like drawing back slightly. In, like they, they, oh, okay. they say, oh, yeah. really? That's, yeah. that's strange. That's <laughs> odd. I don't, I'm not sure I want to try that. I'm not yeah. sure I'm invested yet. Mm -hmm. And you have to talk to them about it. You have to, to uh, explain to them about, you know, why it's different and why they want, should want to taste it and, mm. and try and convince them. I find the reaction here in the States is quite different. It's normally, oh, wow, that's really cool. That's yeah, something I want to yeah. try. That's something that like, yeah. I'm already invested in and, and I'm convinced already and yeah. give me the glass, um, which is always, that's why one of the reasons why I love uh, coming here, traveling the States and, and talking mm. to people about the whiskeys because people are already excited. Um, with, like just from the initial reaction of saying, this is a whiskey from a different part of the world. Mm. Oh, wow, that's really cool. That's something yeah. I want to try. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's always quite refreshing actually to, to come to the States and, and see that see that initial reaction from people yeah do you find i mean it, i promise you I, I, don't, I don't mean to be bringing up pandaren all the time so i promise you i'm not i'm not trying to Ghosts of the past <laughs> <laughs> but you know when you were with pandaren the way you would talk about your whiskeys was you know look we've been around for 20 plus years yeah our whiskeys are six-ish years old because that is where we want the flavor profile. That is where we find Pandaren has its most Pandareniness. Yeah. Being with M&H, you know, granted you don't have liquid as, as old as what Pandaren had, but also you really can't have liquid yeah. as old as what Pandaren had. Absolutely. So how does that affect your pitch when you're when you're talking with people about the age of your of your whiskies? Yeah, I think that's um, so so important to explain the environment in which they're being yeah. made. You know, yeah. I think with with Pendarin, even though yeah. it's distilled very differently, the climate is quite similar to Scotland or, or mm. Ireland. Um, it just pisses it down with rain most of the time, and <laughs> it's uh, pretty cold and and um, but. With Tel Aviv, you know, mm. you're dealing with such such a different environment that the whiskey is going to be maturing very very differently as well, um, much much quicker because of the because of the heat. Yeah. Um, that's going to be really really affecting things. So even though both whiskies are often non-age statement, it's actually for for quite different reasons, um, which yeah is sort of going to be interesting to to sort of explain to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Could we talk about Experiments. We can talk experiments, yeah. I've been foreshadowing them. <laughs> anyway, so now now can be the time. So, I mean, obviously, I imagine some of the experiments you don't want to be talking about because maybe you're not able to share, but are there any Probably. things that... that I, when yeah. I, it's funny, when I was talking to Toma, he's yeah. always said, you know, that to be open with people and and oh, wow. yeah okay. what you know whatever's going to get people yeah. excited about the brand and, and yeah. he's always happy to to be open with people about anything so if i don't tell you anything and just email Tomer, <laughs> <laughs> we'll provide his email at the, at the end of the show um no but in all seriousness yeah i think it's um 
uh, yeah, it's a, it's quite an open environment normally, mm. and, and we like to get people excited about yeah. things that are coming up or might be coming up or experiments that, that are going on in the warehouse. So um, one of the things that we released very recently was the local barley. Um, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think any of that's coming to the US, um, but we released that at Whiskey Live Tel Aviv, which was okay. uh, beginning of September. It was just 900 bottles of that. Um, and... So that was something that's, that's really cool. It's never been done before using Israeli barley yeah. um, for, for a whiskey. So super, super interesting to see what that whiskey was like and, and how it came out. Um, and it was such, such a different style as well. Really? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going you're gonna to get to taste some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> our, yeah. De- our dear yeah. listeners probably won't, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, again, you can hound Joshua for some <laughs> if he's still got any, uh, any left. But yeah, very, very different style. Much... Um, What's the way I would describe it? It's kind of um, not not as bold and sort of okay. heavy and uh, as as MNH perhaps normally is. It's, it sort of has this interesting kind of dusty character to it. Um, okay. That kind of reminds me uh, personally of Campbelltown style whiskies, sort of a little bit Campbelltonian um, so. in that. It reminds me a lot of of kind of a, an Israeli Glen Scotia. <laughs> um, let oh, me put wow. it that way, which was cool. That's um, amazing. Okay. Yeah. So it sort of had this dusty, like, apple yeah. thing to it, which was really, really cool. Is um, it is it 100% local barley, or was it sort of a combination? I've, I think yeah. it's called the local barley uh, yeah. expression, and yeah. I think a lot of people make that assumption. But what Tom would always say is that he he's he's always making little adjustments sure. here and there. And, yeah. and if he finds that, well, actually, you could make it 100% local barley, but it wouldn't be as good a whiskey he's going to yeah. add something yeah, else. Sure. He's going to add yep. a whisk, uh, a, a cask in there that isn't local barley, mm. but that, that, um, helps elevates the whiskey the, that, that elevates. Yeah, thank you. Elevates you the, the, the entire whiskey yeah. and, and makes it a better whiskey overall. Um, that's, that's, he wants the, the whiskeys to be as good yeah. as they can be. So, so he's absolutely going to do that. So I think there were a couple of casks in there that weren't, um, local okay. barley. Um, but pretty much all ex-bourbon to sort of show off as much Beauty. as possible just ask that. the okay. style yeah. um, the style that it is, um, which I thought was really, really cool. I think there's some STR in the mix as well. Okay. Um, it's mainly bourbon and STR. I'm sure there's one or two other casks in there as okay. well. Um, but that was really, really, really cool um, and, and had an amazing, amazing launch at um, this event in Tel Aviv. Um, I think it's all sold out now, even, even in mm. Israel. Um, you're probably not going to find it anywhere. Um, oh wow! I think well, it's sold out of the distillery. Nine hundred bottles. Nine hundred, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and for a very exciting release like that, um, yeah, yeah, it's really, really cool. I mean, it just goes to show you probably how how scarce Israeli barley yeah. is yeah. to even be using because it's bottled at fifty percent alcohol as well. Yeah. So there just wasn't a lot of liquid. No. And, and I think the first batch of mm. Israeli barley that we used, mm-hmm. um, it, it wasn't a, a massive batch of barley that okay. we had. It was enough to fill yeah. you know, however many casks. But then we didn't then use Israeli barley, mm. local barley, for a long time after that, for maybe a year and a half, two years. So okay. um, I think there'll be this initial first batch. There might be more batches of, of M&H local barley at ah. some point, but probably not for a couple of years, I think. I think I think yeah. actually the barley almost broke the mill the first time that we used it. So oh, so they really? didn't want to uh, they didn't want to repeat that because um, the grain the grain is very very hard. Um, oh, it's mainly okay. used for cattle feed, and I think okay. um, 
it probably hadn't gone through all the processes that normally barley goes through if you're getting it from a uh, maltsters in in the uk or, oh, okay. or wherever else where they're removing stones and they're removing everything else uh, from it so there might have been <laughs> might have been some stones in there as well that that uh may have gotten into the rollers of the mill so um they weren't keen to repeat that yeah. uh, quickly but we have done other batches of local yeah. barley it probably won't be released again for a while yeah. um see th this is so you talked about um, them sort of taking a break from from harvesting local barley. I think, and this is for our kosher keeping listeners. Yeah, I think that's for what what we call the shemitah laws, which is right oh, yeah. every seventh year you have to let a field go fallow yeah. by by Jewish law, and so you guys skipping a year from harvesting or local barley makes complete sense if you yep. want to adhere to keeping kosher. That's very true. I remember last year, the year before, maybe last year, again, we talked about not knowing how time works. Um, people were asking about the Levantine gin. Oh, yeah. Because you were using local botanicals, local materials, and the the folks at the distillery were so smart to, like, buy double what they needed the year before the, the Shemitah year, the year that they're not allowed to yeah. to use local. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the Zata was still like really uh, hard to source though. It was yeah, hard to exactly. source that much yeah. because it yeah. was just some yeah. little old lady yeah. who goes up into the hills and, yeah. and, and picks it. So um, yeah, I think they, they struggle with that one. But um, but yeah, as, as you said, very smart to, yeah. to get it all sourced properly beforehand. And, and what's great is that they're admittedly, you know, not kosher keepers, but they're sure. so respectful of the kosher keeping community that they're like, we need to make this available to every drinker yeah. there is, which I think is so respect respectable. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's one of the things that I'd be even before the sherry won the, mm -hmm. the big award, the best single malt. Um, mm -hmm. I I'd been telling people about that that whiskey mm -hmm. for ages that that. Um, it was so uh, so amazing that they really went out of their way to yeah. to make a sherry kosher whiskey. It was like yeah. absolutely not an easy thing to do. In nope. fact, it was almost <laughs> the, like the most difficult path, the most difficult thing to do. Um, but you know, there's the, there's the saying that uh, if you want an Israeli to, to do something, you tell them that they can't do it. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit like that. It's like, well, yeah, making a kosher sherried whiskey, it's going to yeah. be a really hard, long path. Uh -huh. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing that, yeah. that they go through that extra effort um, to to, yeah. to source the, those casks and, and to do that. And even for people who who aren't keeping kosher, that's uh, I think it's amazing that they're, that they're sourcing these casks with such care because it's not mm. something a lot of distilleries necessarily do. They're just, yeah. Yeah. especially with sherry casks being so scarce, new distilleries starting up all the time. Sherry cask whiskey is really, really popular. Mm -hmm. People are just grabbing sherry casks left, right, and center. You know, whenever, wherever yeah. you can get them yeah. from, um, you just grab them up, and, and you don't. Yeah. Some places may not care about the the quality of the, those casks too much. Um, just that the, the whiskey is going to be dark in color. So I think it's uh, it's amazing that you that we're trying to source these casks. You know, that 
so so carefully and yeah. really work with the producer to yeah. have those those sherries made or, or whatever it is wine or um yeah. wherever it's produced um it really sort of speaks i mean the the whiskey kind of speaks for itself in that that the, the mm. quality you can tell the quality of the casks is mm -hmm. really really high that the the casks are really fresh and giving yeah. a lot of that yeah. that flavor of the the quality there yeah they don't you guys aren't half-assing anything no, it's all full ass. It's all <laughs> full, full ass. ass. <laughs> I don't think an Israeli has ever half-assed anything. <laughs> no, that's, that is very true. <laughs> From my knowledge of Israelis so far, <laughs> um, there's a great, the great phrase that I heard recently uh, uh, when I was in uh, when I was in Israel. Uh, I'm sure it sounds a lot better in Hebrew. Was that? Uh, we go full power, then we accelerate. So, so it's like you already have your foot floored yeah. uh, on the gas, and, and then you go even even faster. Amazing. Um, yeah, and I think that's part of the sort of mentality of, of everyone at the distillery. Yeah. It's just to go. Yeah. Go, go, go. It's it, and it's so funny. You know, Jason and I, for years, you know, or how should I say this? You know, when we first started Single Cast Nation, we started an independent bottling company in the Scottish style from the American perspective. Yeah. And then started working with Scotland and quickly figured out that things move at what we've called the speed of Scotland, which is just <laughs> slow as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yep. And then when and and then we just got used to that, right? Yep. And that's just okay, now now we understand timelines and and then starting to work with with M and H and and Tal and Tomer, and having bottled, you know, a bunch of, of casks with you, very delicious whiskeys, yeah, yes, and and just like everything's like, okay, we got this out, we're shipping this tomorrow, we're pulling yep. the samples. It's like, what? hold on, you you're doing this slow, now? Slow down yeah. a bit. <laughs> <laughs> you're already accelerating, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that's exactly the way. That's the that's the mentality. Yeah, that's, the, that's the mindset. Yeah. So so yeah, it's um, and I think it's been the the case mm. winning the award for the sherry as well. Mm. It's been mm. like right, we've won the award. How do we keep going and, yeah, and exactly. keep accelerating, keep yeah. that momentum continuing, mm -hmm. you know, into the future? Um, so yeah, it's always always yeah. like that. Absolutely. So we've we've got maybe 10 12 minutes left in our conversation here. I've got some other questions for you but you, we started talking experiments. Mm -hmm. We got stuck on one. Yeah, local, local barley. barley. <laughs> Apologies. That's okay. <laughs> what else do we got? What what else are you guys doing that is just different, interesting, intriguing? Um, one of the things I think is really cool there's a couple of things. So we we've been working on a series called uh, Arts and Crafts. So the first yes. part of yeah. that series was um, local beer producers mm. and sourcing casks from from these local breweries. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't remember which ones came to the U.S., but there's, there's we been... got the the double bock. Oh yeah, nice. Which was remarkable. That was like mm. some chocolate stout double. Like it was just really intense stouty flavors okay. coming through. Nice. Yeah. yeah, so there were a couple of, I think maybe six of those in, in total oh, okay. from different styles yeah. of beer. There was like a um, peated IPA one. There was um, a couple of different sort of Belgian beers. There was like a triple. Um, peated IPA? Yeah, I think it was peated whiskey had been in the cask first and then they'd put IPA in it and then they'd give it emptied it and given it back to us. So it's something it. like, something like that. that. Yep. Or maybe it was a peated 
whiskey Spirit. that had gone into yeah, an IPA okay. cast. But I don't think it was. I think it was okay. Peter Whiskey had been in it, yep. then IPA, then our whiskey. Anyway, um, so we're doing the second series of, mm. of that now, arts and crafts again, but not beer casks this time, but different mm. types of uh, fortified wine casks. Okay. So that's going to be super, super cool. Um, it was something that, that it was funny working for Penderin, bringing that up again. Um, we, it wasn't even me. This I know. Time, I'm David. sorry. I apologize. <laughs> but it, we use a lot of Madeira casks. And I remember yes. Tal talking about this and, yeah. and saying about how jealousy was that we could sure. use, you know, Madeira casks or whatever, you know, other type yeah. like port casks, things like that. There are some Israeli sort of ports. You can't call them ports though, yeah, because port they're not style. Yeah, port yeah. style. So we call them fortified red wine yep but um but actually sourcing casks from from porto from from um from portugal yeah from portugal oh. uh and being being sort of jealous of that uh, ability but mm -hmm. he's found a um a supplier of of oh. kosher casks from madeira casks uh white port was another one um, Fucking white port. Oh, you yeah. and I used to talk about <laughs> white <did>. port. <laughs> it's because it came up at a blind tasting. It didn't come up at a blind tasting, but I, I put this stupid guess out for a whiskey and said, I know what this is. It's a Ben Nevis matured in a white port cask. It was like the most obscure yeah. whiskey ever. So that became a bit of an in-joke. But yes. So, and then uh, what's the other one? Um, Muscatel, maybe? Something yes. like that. And, uh, and there's a fourth... I think there were five in total, okay. um, but different styles of fortified mm. wine casks that, that we've never done before, um, which is going to be super exciting, really, really yep. cool. And I just love the labels on the arts and crafts as well. I think it's They're super, gorgeous. super cool. Yeah, really Really nice. colorful and really yep. stand out, um, but all really, really exciting whiskeys. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing I'm really, really excited for as well is the other sort of geographical projects mm. that we've been working on. So, of course, for a long time, we've been very famous for doing the Dead Sea whiskey, yes. yeah. um, which lowest place in the world, super, super intense climate. But as mm. you mentioned near the beginning, the, the you have fly, five different climate zones in, mm. in Israel, all these different areas that you can mature whiskey. And Jim mm. Swan called it like a playground for, for whiskey maturation. So Tel Aviv is a... Um, sea level, of course, and, and near the beach. So you've got a bit, a bit of breeze coming in off the sea as well. Yeah. Um, and so that's where the distillery is and we have warehouses there. But we also have warehouses then up in the Jerusalem mountains where it's mm. a higher elevation and, and it's a bit cooler. Um, hmm. The Dead Sea, as we mentioned, you mentioned the, the cage on top of the hotel, <laughs> which, which, by the way, was, uh, I think... In the end, health and safety finally came. What little health and safety there is in Israel finally came <laughs> along and said, "We absolutely can't keep doing this." I oh, think that's funny. it almost got to yeah. the point where the roof was like sagging inward a little bit. It must have because there was like sixty casks. There were up quite there a few casks, yeah. and uh, I, it's one of the things I've absolutely loved actually to get sidetracked again about going to Israel and seeing what's going on at the distillery. Is just there, there's like absolutely non-existent health and safety. So like in yeah. Scotland, you go to a distillery in Scotland and it's like, oh, you've got to wear your high-vis jacket and you're not allowed to take photos in the distillery and yeah, oh yeah. be careful mind the step and all that kind of crap mm, but mm. and you go to you go to tel aviv you go to the mnh distillery and it's like oh yeah i know come on in take photos or whatever you yeah. want you know you want you want to climb over the casks <laughs> and yeah do, like do whatever um and you see like there was a, a path of, of casks like the whole corridor was blocked with casks and yeah. it's like oh which one do you want to taste and someone would just walk over all these like casks uh, wobbling this way and that and <sighs> climb up onto the one yeah. of the racks and yeah. get a sample and, and all of that so but uh, but yeah we moved the um the warehouse in the dead sea so it's not on the roof of the hotel anymore but it's um 
on the ground floor, I guess. Still okay. kind of outside, but not directly in the sun or anything like that. Okay. But there's room for a few more casks there now, okay. um, which is good. Um, so they're maturing away, being all crazy. Um, and you've also got the Sea of Galilee then, which is minus 200 meters. Yeah. Still pretty pretty low as, as, as land goes and very different atmosphere there again. Mm. So we have a warehouse there. Um, there's a warehouse uh, right in the south by the Red Sea as well. I think that's, that's sort of like a new project. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. That, that uh, I'm sure we'll have whiskey from at some point. But in in the next foreseeable future, I don't know, the, the, in the next six months or mm. so, we'll, um, we're looking to release uh, maybe two whiskeys from different geographical locations within, within Israel awesome. that we haven't before. Yeah. That will sort of make up a set, I guess, with the Dead Sea maybe the Jerusalem mountains oh, okay. and, and, and one other, maybe Sea of Galilee. So uh, so that's something I'm really looking forward to seeing that will be really exciting. Because having been to a lot of the locations mm. now um, in Israel, uh, the whiskies are just so, so different. And, and the, yeah. the climate is giving so many different things to these whiskies. Yeah. Um, and the one that actually really impressed me, because I knew about the Dead Sea already. I'd been... Yeah. I'd, tasted the the Dead Sea when it first came out and was mega, mega impressed with it, loved it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But when going to then the Sea of Galilee and tasting some of the casks there, wow, like people oh, yeah, people are in yeah. for a treat. Like some of the stuff there is just insane. And actually, I think after being there um, with Toma and yeah. tasting some of the casks, he was like, you know, these these are these are like almost ready. We need to move them back to, to oh, Tel wow. Aviv already. And some of them are only a year old, a year, maybe a year and a half. Honestly, some of the, some of the best whiskeys I've tasted in my entire life. Um, there was a particular cast. There's a photo of me hugging it. I didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to let it go. I wanted to drink the whole thing there and then. Um, was a was a sherry cask, like an Oloroso sherry cask with oh, wow. peated spirit in that had been at the Sea of Galilee for a year and a half. Oh, wow. And you wouldn't have known this thing from like a dirty 18 year old sherry lechek. Oh, um, wow. Which is right up my street yes. and was yeah, just yeah, yeah. Sure. absolutely incredible, incredible whiskey. Um, so it's just insane that in a year and a half, mm. you can have that kind oh, of yeah. maturation uh, going so on. Fast. Yeah. So and the complexity is just, it's dizzying. Yeah. One of the things that, so first off, I'm really excited to, to taste whiskey from all these geographical Geographical, geographic, whatever. Any locations. Yeah. Um, having the Dead Sea for me, the th the thing that struck me the most was was not necessarily how different the flavors were, but it was more about what that climate did to the texture of the whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. Like the texture was through the roof. It was Absolutely. just so rich and unctuous and silky and like heavy and and I wonder if if you're able to describe maybe what the difference differences you're seeing in some of the other whiskeys from these other locations yeah really perspective really interesting question I think um with the Sea of Galilee it was the it was the complexity it was giving the liquid mm. at you know a very very young age these mm. whiskies mm. were were years and years decades beyond wow. um what they should have been really yeah. like well, what we were expecting for, for a year and a half old whiskey um so that was that was insane there i think with the jerusalem mountains i haven't tasted much whiskey from from yeah. some of the other places um but in the jerusalem mountains because it's higher elevation um it's a little bit cooler mm. most of the year it can even snow sometimes and um the liquid i think won't 
be having quite as much uh, angels share. I don't think the maturation will be quite as intense. Okay. And and uh, Tal and Tomer have, have said that you know if they were ever to release an older whiskey or try to try to mature a whiskey to older than you know six or seven years, mm-hmm. um, they might be able to do it in the Jerusalem Mountains or. Sure. Uh, maybe the Golan Heights um, yeah, sure. because of that higher elevation because of the, the cooler temperatures yep. um, especially if you're using um, like very tight uh, oak like Limousin French oak oh yeah um, sure. because it you don't lose as much and, and the um, the whiskey sort of matures a bit more slowly in those mm-hmm. casks if you put that in that kind of environment you might be looking at you know an M&H uh, eight years, ten years old, okay. maybe at some point. Uh, wow. I, I mean, it might take another 10, 15 years for that to be released. <laughs> so don't hold me to that. But but if it yeah. ever were to 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 be able to happen, that would kind of be the place. Mm. So yeah, I'm really interested to kind of see where where that goes as well. Awesome. Um, but yeah, it's just the whole thing's super exciting. I think like having having all these different areas, small warehouses in all these different areas, and yeah. being able to experiment with the climate like that. Yeah. Uh, as you said, it's not it's not something that many people are even able to mm. to do. So we're in a really really unique sort of position to to be able to do that. And looking forward to to bringing you lots of delicious whiskies from from these yeah. different places. Yeah, yeah. So normally, we'd end the podcast with with saying, you know, what are you as a distillery most excited about? And I think we've just discussed. Yeah. What you're likely most excited about as a distillery, as as someone who's new to M&H, what are you in particular most excited about moving forward your next two years, three years, five years with the distillery? Ooh, I think um, I'm just looking forward to to talking to people about the stuff and mm. and, and getting it out there. Like mm. even the whiskey, or as we've talked about, you know, the whiskey's are super exciting. There's so many mm. cool projects um, that, that are kind of going on, potential collaborations and, and stuff like that, that, that um, just as a whiskey nerd and, and yeah. as a, a, yeah. a whiskey lover, a whiskey person, that yeah. I, I just get so giddy and, <laughs> and sort of excited about yeah. them. Um, so I'm just... Um, super super happy to to be along for the ride to be here to to have this new role um yeah. and i just want to get out there and and share the love spread the words and and get the whiskies out there it's kind of what what i'm really really excited for we've talked we've talked a lot about the different projects of the distillery so yeah, yeah for me personally i'm i'm mega mega excited yeah. to to be on board and and getting it out there it's cool you'll be able to just talk about new stuff all the I time know. yeah all the time it's uh it's amazing um so yeah, i'm looking forward to that yeah. as i've said you know i'm looking forward to that journey and it's only just beginning really yeah um so i'm i'm excited to see where the distillery is going to be in five years ten years um and what kind of whiskies that we'll be producing yeah. then and crazy experiments that we're going on beauty so. well i wish you nothing but success with M&H. I wish Thank nothing you. but success for M&H. And perhaps most importantly, nothing but peace within Israel. Yeah, absolutely. Into the, the fighting and just... Hold on, that got really dark. Just, I'm looking forward to, to peace within Israel and an end to the fighting and maybe getting back to a little more normality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, for having me on again. And um, 
Good having you. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank me so much for having me on again. <laughs> um, yeah, and hopefully we can uh, we can do an episode at some point with me and Tal, both sat here as well. Maybe in Israel. Absolutely. Oh, that there would be amazing. Yes. Yeah. We do a we do a live recording from. <sighs> the Dead Sea or the Sea of Galilee or something, sat in the Dead Sea, sat in the oh, salty water gosh, of the Dead yes. Sea with the Just, microphone, like yes. the, the recorder, like floating on like a little uh, <laughs> <laughs> blow up thing beside us. <laughs> Covered in, in Dead Covered Sea in mud. mud. <laughs> <laughs> so look forward to that episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, cheers to you. Cheers to everybody at the distillery. Thanks again. David, thank you so much again for, for, for not just sitting down and, and having a conversation, but for coming out. You know, when you when you left Pandaren, I was I was sad. I thought I wouldn't be able to see you so much. And then you just happened to move on to yet another distillery <laughs> that, that we're bringing in. And you know, not just from an impact standpoint, but from a single cast nation standpoint. You know, we, we've got yeah, relationships yeah. with both of these wonderful distilleries. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Jason, but one of the things that that really strikes me about M and H, and and you will have heard that towards the end of the conversation, is their fearlessness when it comes to mm-hmm. experimenting in whiskey. You know, they have yes, they're they're doing things in the traditional way, right? You know of of double distillation and making sure it's three years of age, but they've got five climate zones. They've got all these unusual casks to play around <laughs> with. And they, yeah. they can even work with local Israeli barley, which, you know, they're doing all these things that no one else can do. And if we are a company that makes its living by providing new flavors to, to our customers, they're doing the same thing They've got the luxury of doing it through a single distillery. We've got to do it through a multitude of distilleries and, and casks and so on. So, so I'm kind of jealous in the way, but it's as a drinker, it's so nice to, to know that they continue to experiment because that means new flavors are always coming at us. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting to say world single malts are not scotch. And instead yeah. of that being to their detriment, they get to respond by saying, yeah, but we're one distillery with five maturation climates. Yeah. Like who in Scotland gets to say that? And it's not to say it makes them better than Scotland, Mm-mm. but it gives them their own sandbox in which to play and, and in which to present themselves and, you know, present their own skill set. And I think that is, it's a really a smart way to do business, mm-hmm. but it's also whiskey driven and flavor driven and best thing in the bottle driven. And yeah. I, I, you know, obviously we've got a long-standing relationship with them. We we do love them very very much, and and, and it's exciting. Uh, it's another way to talk about world single malt that it doesn't have to be Scotch light. It's just same ingredients, different processes. Uh, different maturation, same double distillation in Forsyth's copper pot stills. Like uh, uh, that to me is exciting. When you mentioned a moment ago about being whiskey drinkers, 
that's exciting as whiskey drinkers <laughs> and and people who then also run a company for whiskey drinkers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, super super cool. Uh you know, it gets back to their their name too. And I, and listen, I'm about to say something that that David uses and and Tal uses. And it's part of their pitch, but it it really it really does speak to what they do. You know, the the name Tel Aviv, Tel means old ruins, Aviv means spring or or new, new life, right? And so they're they're doing things the old school way, just with a new mm. twist on it. And that that's what leads them. And and they, you know, the Israelis are incredibly impatient bunch of people <laughs> but they, they they have climate on their side to help them hey we have a project it's always a three-year time window for them how lucky are they to have that where if you're in scotland you're like all right i can't wait to release this product in 15 years you know it's it's they've, they've, they've got a little edge there and um and and it just allows them to continue on with these experiments and us being able to taste along the way. It's it's super cool. Yeah, and and, and as you're as you're alluding to there, you know, whiskey for us is people. And as much as yeah. David's on here talking about M and H and presenting that distillery and you know the, the the multifaceted ways of doing business, it's also really interesting to hear David talk about making a move from Pinderin Welsh single malt to. M&H, Israeli single malt, you know, how many folk do we know who have made sideways moves within the world single malt category? And to hear what it's like to pitch a Welsh single malt uh, and maturation within Mm. the UK there to then pitching uh, an Israeli single malt and maturation just being one point of difference for them. Um, and, and how he still represents the world single malt category. So I, I appreciate him talking about that as well. And and like you say, I'm, you know, I'm glad to see him make a move from, you know, one of our favourite world distilleries to another one of our world favourite distilleries, so our favourite world distilleries. This M&H, I may have refilled my glass <laughs> once or twice. This M&H is a very good <laughs> M&H. And, Hey, you, ever, you ever met David? You ever met David? He's a lovely fella. Lovely. <laughs> Hashtag please drink MH responsibly. Ah, <laughs> uh, listen, um, We've got we've got just a little bit of news. To, oh, you know, before we get to the news, really quickly, speaking of M and H, speaking of people making lateral moves, our good friend Shilton, formerly of Paul John, who we had on, on the podcast mm. previously, mm-hmm. is with M and H as well. I think M and H, they're just they're sniping all the good people. <laughs> like, I'll take you, thank you very much. I'll take you, thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah. They're doing it very successfully. Yeah, they're doing it very successfully. So, so listen, you and I, sir, uh, have, yes, sir. have just a little bit of news to get to. And yes. I thought we might want to just bring in the paper boy really quickly. Really quickly. Only fair. Yeah. Mystery, mystery, we all are 
story of Playboy Penny, extra, extra. So we mentioned these in the last episode after I'd been pouring them at Jack Rose Dining Saloon mm. for premiere drams. And now we stand on the precipice of a glorious future, Joshua, where on October... On October 20, which is the day after this episode's drops, mm-hmm. here in the United States, we will have two American single malt whiskies. The ice cream man was alluding to some of these American single malts coming up for Indeed. Uh, for purchase. Indeed. So, so we will have two American single malt whiskies and one bourbon. And it will be Virginia Distillery Company, five years in an STR cask. Mm. It will be Westward, six years in a new charred oak cask. Yes, please, and and then the Woodenville bourbon six years in new charred oak and that will give us obviously virginia distillery company from virginia westward from portland oregon and woodenville from woodenville washington so some nice whiskies being covered here virginia distillery company will be 125 dollars a bottle which matches the pricing from our first release there mm-hmm. our westward will be $115 a bottle. There will be an opportunity to save money there. Check your emails uh, in America for information there. And then we will have the Woodenville bourbon at $95. Uh, All three are single casks. All three are limited numbers of bottles. All three hopefully will be in high demand. They are incredibly delicious. And as much as it is our second venture with the Virginia Distillery Company, it is our first offering from Westward and our first offering from Woodenville. And we are very excited to get them out to nation members. You know, it's it's no secret that my love for Westward runs stupidly deep. It's the reason why that <laughs> that Pinot Noir cask uh, picked by uh, Nando last year just made my made my whiskey of the year because it's remarkable. They absolutely know what they're doing and and I'm sure people people know they get it. They get they get westward. So so please don't 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 sleep on that one. But more importantly, Jason Maybe not more importantly, but but something I wanted to point out <laughs> is is our Woodenville. And, you know, Woodenville bourbon is not – Woodenville isn't a brand that you can get in every state. Like you can – you can find Westward in almost mm. every state in the Union. Um, Woodenville is, is a bit of a lesser-known quantity. And mm. I, I really want to urge people not to sleep on that bourbon – Yes. Is it Kentucky bourbon? No, it's not. Is it made in in Washington state? Yes, it is. Does that make it any less delicious? No, it doesn't. If you love your bourbons and you like them big, bold, spicy, I'll give you, I've told you this before, maybe the last episode, Jason, I really enjoy OBSF as the recipe for Four Roses because it's big and bold and spicy. And yeah. for my palate, this really sits within that wheelhouse 
However, it's, it's offering some some slightly sweeter flavors coming through as well, which I really like. And if you love your bourbon and you like them big and bold, do not sleep on this. You will kick yourself in the ass if you do. Well, and this is one of the things I've been saying to people about it is, yes, distilled in the state of Washington. If Washington is known for apples and forests and rain, this bourbon has those qualities. Mm -hmm. It's freshly sawn oak. It's wet forests. It's wet pine. Mm -hmm. It's apple crumble. It's, It's apple oatmeal with cinnamon. It's warm. It is, we started today's episode talking about this. It is a fall sipper. Um, yes. It's it's got those warm spices that fit this season perfectly. And yeah, I, I'm with you, Joshua. I hope people dive into it and, and pick it up. I will also throw in, you've got Westward obviously very close to your heart. My dear friends at Virginia Distillery Company invited me down the other day and uh, I spent part of a morning, part of an afternoon, uh, sampling casks with them in the warehouse for their future projects rather than SCN's future projects. Oh, that's cool. And every every time I taste casks with them down there, uh, I'm just, I continually make reference to Glenn Murray. I'm just like, wow, the the things you do with Chardonnay, you know, it just makes me think of the things Glenn Murray do. The the way your spirit resonates in fresh bourbon makes me think of Glenn Murray. And now here we are with an STR, shaved, toasted and recharred VDC that is just so orangey and warm and chocolate cherries. Mm. And they are... They're doing excellent work down there. And you talked about this with M&H, you know, these these climate zones uh, for VDC uh, in Lovingston, Virginia, then this tropical uh, climate down there. Obviously, snow in winter, still gets cold. But in the summers, oh, it treats the whiskey so nicely. And, uh, and tasting with them in October is the perfect season as the cask relax. The spirit relaxes and you really get a full uh, embodiment of flavors. Uh, Really wonderful. So I think people can tell we're a little bit excited about these three offerings, Joshua. (laughs) Really? What gave it away? Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) This isn't video, so I can't say. (laughs) Uh, The the last thing before we get out of here is I know know there's a lot of people who are, are, are champing at the bit for our Westland nine-year-old mm-hmm. uh, P. and Pinot mm-hmm. de Chiron, and, and maybe even some louder voices there for our two wild turkeys. Um, mm-hmm. So for, the, for both the, the, the Westland and the two wild turkeys, because these are lottery items, anyone who wishes to win a lottery... Uh, whether it's the Westland or the Two Wild Turkeys, you have to be previous customers of our of our online bottlings. So yep. if you've not purchased from us before, but are really interested in our new Westland, or really interested in our two new wild turkeys, you now have three bottlings available to you that are brand new that we're releasing on Thursday, October 20. But we also have some uh, MacMira left on the website 
13 yep. years in New Chard Oak, and then we have some copper works left as well. So you've got yep. five different bottlings to choose from. <laughs> Buy one bottle. That's all you have to do. Buy two <laughs> bottles and you'll save on shipping. Either way, be a customer and then you and then you can enter the lottery. We're not doing anything another retailer wouldn't do. If you want to gain access to yeah. the good stuff, be a good customer and we'll we'll be good sellers to you. So we thank everybody who's been a member, whether they purchased a bottle three days ago or they purchased a bottle twelve years ago. We thank you for that. You're in the running if you want to enter those lotteries. We don't yet have a date on when those lotteries will open, but it won't be before too long. Yeah, you know, you and I are, you know, fully committed to to transparency here. The the casks are shipping from our bottling hall in Kentucky to our warehouse in California. Uh, so long as we don't see any hiccups, the lottery will be sooner. If there are any hiccups, the lottery will be later. But one thing everyone can rest assured of they will hear about the upcoming lotteries. There is no doubt about that. Make sure you're a member, singlecastnation.com, and uh, and we'd love to we'd love to tell you. Member and purchaser. And, and, and again, in the interest of full transparency, I've I've explained these rules to the faces of people uh, standing in front of me. And people just go, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> people get the retail landscape. Yeah, that makes sense. So I don't think we're saying anything controversial, doing anything controversial. Uh, people seem to absolutely grasp it when you say it to their face. So I'm excited to press on and, and continue to release exciting casks. Beauty. Beauty. got, you mentioned this earlier, Jason, we got uh, some emails in from James Foster. And uh, <laughs> <Plural>. <laughs> yeah, it, literally plural and not just two. We got three emails. I don't know if we're going to go through all three, but you know, maybe we'll do one and then see there was one email and then another email that was sort of a two-parter. So maybe we'll do the, the one email. But I also wanted to mention as well, we got an email in from uh, Tom Jadelka, who um, who sent us um, an article for a potential extra extra as well. And so we'll likely be including that for uh, a future extra extra. But Indeed. I wanted to bring up James's email here, which jeepers, creepers, can this dude write words? There's a lot of them, Jason. So so let's see how quickly, you know how I read, not well. Let's see mm-hmm. how I can get through this. <laughs> so the email uh, subject line says, single cask question, then in parenthetical comment, see what I did there? It says, I always thought quote, re-racking meant, quote, moving a container from one rack to another. Like if you wanted to rotate through the shelves in your rickhouse. After St. Nick's email on the latest podcast confirmed my extensive research, aka web search, I now know it's liquid that moves, not necessarily, is that it's liquid that moves, not necessarily the container. In fact, according to even more researching, quote-unquote finishing is a special type of quote-unquote re-racking. 
Mm-hmm. Then you said something like, quote, there's going to be a lot of quotes here, Jason. <laughs> Jeepers. Then you said something like, quote, <laughs> bottlers of single casks process juice from a single cask, regardless of whether all that juice was always in that cask, end quote. <laughs> he says, I think I heard something like, quote, <laughs> The history of that juice isn't our concern, end quote. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you follow me there? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. Uh, I I do love it when people quote us back to us. Yeah, I know. He goes on and says, well, the voices in my head started screaming, but, but, but. (laughs) So he goes on. Assume juice from Uh B is being added to container A, and then a parenthetical comment, I'm assiduously avoiding the word barrel so as not to cross Josh, so Joshua. So he's he's taking great care and not using the word barrel. God bless him. God bless his heart. Um, (laughs) So SCN buys the cask. It's time to compose the label. Let the fun begin. If A is emptied beforehand, this is clearly a re-racking of some sort, and the label will say it's from cask A, peachy. If there's a single drop of A and B is added to it, is it still from cask A? Two drops, half the container? How much of A has to be (laughs) an A for the label to say it's from cask A? Yeah, following. Oh my gosh, I'm glad you are. To make it worse, <laughs> suppose A is fresh sherry and B is old oak. When would the SCN label call this a sherried whiskey? When would the tasting notes say, quote, wow, the single sherry cask imparted no sherry influence? End quote. Can, can I respond to where we're at so yeah, far? Please, because, because it goes but, on, man. Okay, because the, the trouble is... James has unnecessarily complicated the world of re-racking. And so one of the things to state clearly is like goes into like. And a little amount of like goes into what you might want to consider the original cask. It's a topping off. It's not, and I know he's going to have a thought experiment and I know James is going to say, but what if your original cask has 25% liquid in it and you then re-rack it with 75? No, people aren't doing that, right? Uh The 25% full cask would become the liquid used to re-rack other like casks. And we're talking sister casks oftentimes here and we are never talking about sherry being used to top up bourbon and you know sherry maturation being used to top up bourbon maturation so there's there's not this wild wild west of re-racking it's very careful and it's very slight and I, I worry we've, we've reached a little bit of a place where a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, right? We've opened the can of worms on re-racking and then the hypotheticals go to a place 
where the whiskey industry has never gone and has no intention of going. Mm. And so I, I think we need to, to pull back from the precipice here and say, no, re-racking is a very determinate process that is executed carefully and judiciously. So let me distill it down to this. Anytime we bottle a single cask of something and that single cask has a cask number, we say it is a single cask. Now, if we received that cask and it was ex-sherry, but we're told, look, the whiskey spent the first eight years of its life in bourbon and then the, the last few years of its life in sherry, we simply list it on the label so that people know, hey, this liquid went from one cask into another cask. And what we're bottling is a final single cask. That's what we call it, single cask nation. Now, there's yeah. other instances, and I think I mentioned this um, when we were last talking about this, where you will have a distillery, and I'll, I'll use Glen Morangie as an example, right, with their La Santa bottling, which is their 12-year-old whiskey that spent 10 years in bourbon and two years in sherry. What they do to create that whiskey is they take all of the bourbon cast liquid, marry it together, and then start filling yeah. to the top all of these yeah. sherry casks, let it mature for two years, then they put all that together and sell it. That, yep. is, that is finishing. That is re-racking. Similar to... So, so take that idea of, of a larger release and now apply that thought process to our very first bottling, the Aaron Pinot Noir cask, <laughs> where we were mm -hmm. told there were six of these Pinot Noir casks. And what Aaron had done is they had collected... Um, ex-bourbon cask spirit, so basically spirit that spent eight years in bourbon casks, a bunch of them married them together and then started filling individual Pinot Noir casks. So what's in each cask is the culmination of a few casks, but in the end, we selected one of the six samples that were provided to us and we bottled that one cask, that one final finishing cask. So our first yep. Aaron was the culmination of likely a, a good number of bourbon casks, that liquid married together, extra matured in a Pinot Noir cask for four years, and we bottled a, one cask of that. That is all finished. Yep. So these are various ways of, of finishing, various means of finishing. Some people may say, well, that's not a single cask. Well, they, they are welcome to their opinion, and that's cool. What we bottled was a single cask. And from that cask came 200 some odd bottles. We just yeah. happen to be very transparent about that and they can <laughs> decide what they want to do with the information at the end. So long as the whiskey is delicious. And it is interesting for a dozen years, we have grappled with, with people about what the definition of single cask is. Mm -hmm. And when we started the company, our idea was it would be a single wooden vessel of spirit, whether it's whiskey or mezcal or rum or what have you. Mm -hmm. and, and it's been interesting to encounter people for whom single cask can only mean 
a distillate that went into a wooden vessel in such and such a calendar year and was never touched until the day the bung was popped and bottles were filled from it. And I, and I worry that as we go down the path of explaining some aspects of the whiskey industry that fly in the face of something someone has believed for a long time, that's when some people think the wool has been pulled over their eyes or something nefarious has happened behind closed doors. Mm. And, I, and I think the way you articulate here's a couple of different ways for re-racking to occur that is industry standard and industry practice. Like That also means single cask. Mm. And it, it's just interesting to me that I, I never... I never thought 12 years ago we'd still be articulating what is meant by single cask. But when you meet people who have thought one thing for a long time, it's perfectly wonderful yeah. to sit down and say, well, but here's what else that could mean. And where, here's where else this could go. But, but I do want to reiterate, even in the examples you gave, it was like for like, similar for similar in a careful process, not a little bit from this random cask and a little bit from that random yeah, cask yeah. and a little bit from over here and something of a different age. None of that. None, none, none of that. There you go. There you go is right. <laughs> uh, listen, James, I, I hope I didn't offend you in any way by, by making the executive decision to not read the rest of your email. There's there's a lot going on there, and between Jason and I, we can we can read it. But I think it would just be too much for the for the audience. So, um, but to make up for that, we'll read your your other emails in the in the next episode. How's that? <laughs> well, I I was going to say I will be drinking with him on October nineteenth, hey. and again on October twentieth. And then once I did that inside my head, I realized. The Thursday date that we both gave is incorrect. Thursday is actually October 19, and you and I identified it as October 20, which is Friday. Oh, cheapers. So, so Thursday, October 19, we'll see the launch of Woodenville, VDC, and Westward uh, on our website. I'm not too worried. Everyone's going to get the emails. Everyone's going to see the correct date written down. This is just a preview in the old podcast. I'm going to write in a complaint, Jason. <laughs> you won't be the only one. <laughs> uh, just make sure you attach a PDF. <laughs> Listen, if, if anybody wants to be like the good James Foster or the good ice cream man, uh, please email us questions at one nation under com, or you can email us at um, info at singlecasknation.com. Of course, with the One Nation Under Whiskey uh, email address, there is no E in the word whiskey. We never put an E near that word, so you can always count on that. Jason, is there anything you wanted to add before we got out of here? Two, two very quick things. Mm -hmm. uh, in our last episode, we promised that we'd be speaking with Jess about ROW. Please tune in to the next episode of One Nation Under Whiskey for uh, information on the ROW number five yeah, release. Yep. And our selection of five for me and five for you American spirits 
created some conversation <laughs> and Drew Beard of Drink Hacker wrote in uh, to me, he and I were texting, and um, I'm going to cover that in the beginning of the next episode oh, as well. That'll give us some room for chat uh, about that episode. So those are my two very quick things before we get out of here. Beauty. Well, on that note, Jason, I raise my glass to you. I raise yep. my glass to to the readers, to the readers. God damn it, I did it again. Uh, <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every time. Uh, to, to the listeners, to, to James, to the ice cream man, to our friends at M&H, to all of our friends in, in, in Israel. And listen, we usually say this in extra extra, but I'm going to say it here. Peace. Peace indeed. Yeah, all of this is like after elephants. This is good. We've got the elephants out of the way. We could just move on with our lives. <laughs> right? Because those elephants really get in the way. They they're all, they're in always, position. They're always saying, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and you're all like, <laughs> like enough elephants. Oh, sounds windy over in your place.